This is episode 33 of the Globetrotter Lounge podcast. Welcome to the Globetrotter Lounge podcast, conversations with women who have found creative ways to travel more. I'm your host, Jet Set Lizette, and I've been able to make dream travel a reality by racking up airline miles and hotel points, saving over $100,000 in travel costs. But that's just one way to travel more. Hearing how others have made travel a priority is a great way to get ideas and get inspired. This podcast is going to help you become the globetrotter you've always wanted to be by bringing you valuable tips, resources, and insights from seasoned travelers. Today, I'm talking with Phoebe Howlett, a young solo traveler who is from the UK and who still lives in the UK, who five years ago was diagnosed with two chronic illnesses with no real cure. She was only 21 years old at the time, and she figured she would no longer be able to be financially independent, let alone travel like she used to. But after some major shifts in lifestyle and attitude, Phoebe has not only been able to return to work and travel, but is now on a mission to travel to every country in the world. When I heard about her story, I really wanted to have her on the show because it's so inspiring to know that you can always travel more, even with what seems like a significant limitation. Phoebe is going to share the details about her journey into chronic illness, anxiety, and depression, how she ultimately found a path back to wellness, and why she came to the decision to live a life of travel despite her limitations. You're also going to hear about how travel has turned into part of her recovery and the importance of self-care while on the road, and much, much more. It's a great conversation, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. But before we dig in, I want to quickly remind you about my free seven-day email course, Seven Steps to Free Travel. It breaks down the steps that I've taken to rack up over a million airline miles and hotel points, enabling me to travel to dream destinations whenever I want. You can do it too. Sign up at stepstofreetravel.com. That's stepstofreetravel.com. So without further ado, let's get into the interview. Well, welcome, Phoebe, to the Globetrotter Lounge. I'm really glad to have you joining me today. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Yes, and all the way from the UK. And I love that you have agreed to be on the show and we can have someone with maybe a little bit different perspective. I feel like my goal has been to interview people who are not from the United States. So thanks for being the first one that I've done that with. Oh, amazing. I'm the first. I want to start off by asking you what I usually ask the people I have on the show, which is what led to your love of travel? Where do you think that started? My love of travel definitely came from my parents. Um, even as a little girl, my both my mom and dad had stories of trekking through tiny island rainforests in Indonesia and sailing round um, the Horn in South Africa. And they both individually travelled um, at a time. Mum travelled for nine years, Dad travelled for 10 years uh, before they then met each other in Brazil, sailed from Brazil over to the UK and then eventually settled. Um, so I think if you have somebody that is telling you that's the norm, not doing it is not normal. So that's definitely where it came from. For sure. And even as a kid, we went on, I remember like sleeping in a hostel, like above cows, like with my family. 
they so I mean as I said they traveled individually by themselves for a long time because they absolutely had the travel bug but even as they had kids even when they settled down I say in quotation marks we still went to you know as a kid before the age of 10 I'd been to about 15 countries so wow definitely definitely gave me the bug for it so Moving into your, you know, a little bit later years and, you know, a big part of why I have you on the show today is you're going to be talking about traveling with chronic illnesses and dealing with that. So at what point did did these illnesses come into your life? And can you tell us a little bit about those? Yeah, of course. So I, when I was in university back in 2013 now, um, I was offered a scholarship to go um, on an international placement um, and I studied in Malaysia for four months and then four months into my sixth month placement I contracted dengue fever and I was in hospital for two weeks and then what on getting out that hospital I just I still couldn't function myself um, I needed to help you know showering walking to the toilet cooking and I had I didn't have that support network you normally have on getting out of hospital because I was there by myself pretty much. Um, So I had to head home, cut that short. And it was from then on that it just hadn't been the same since. And I was diagnosed with um, depression and anxiety through university. But I thought, you know, maybe it's because of social situations or the pressure of university, even though there's no there was no such thing, really. Um, And the only reason I managed at university, I think, Um, with this kind of lingering post-viral is because I had such low contact hours. I only had to go into university eight hours a day. Often I didn't even go into those contact hours. I slept for, had a nap of at least two hours each day. Um, But I continued powering through, just thinking if I just power on, power on, it'd be absolutely fine. Until eventually it got to the stage where I was presented with the opportunity to work in investments upon graduation. I got a job in relationship management and that is very much a high-flying, you big money, long hours, hard work, high pressure. You know, I was working 10, 12 hours a day and it's a lot of pressure for a 21-year-old trying to earn £100 million for an investment firm. Um, and I think that we, that pressure with the combination of my post-viral and at the same time as this added first-time job pressure my mum was diagnosed with cancer I just got my I just got dumped basically um and within kind of a couple of months what became a lingering fatigue and you know low mood then became a fainting on the tube not being able to remember my name having the shakes collapsing during the night um, waking up in cold sweats, high fevers, um, my appetite being high and low, headaches to the point that I couldn't even look at the screen by the end of the day. I had to start adapting so many things in my life. I was like, this is crazy. What is going on? Um, and it took me six months after that point of me going, something is definitely not right here, to be finally diagnosed with two chronic illnesses, ME or people know it as chronic fatigue, but it should not be called that, Um, and postural tachycardia syndrome, which is another chronic illness, so two chronic illnesses. Wow. So those are things that do not have an easy cure or, you know, tell me a little bit about that. What what do you do if you have those two illnesses? What, What does the recovery look like? What does treatment look like? 
Yeah. 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 Good question. Because it's a question that doctors struggle to answer. Um, Yeah. In reality, there is no magic pill for chronic illnesses. Um, And it was more a case of managing my expectations for life rather than how do I go about recovering from this treatment. And I was told by the doctors that life would definitely get easier because I would learn to be able to manage the illness. And, you know, you come to terms with what your quality of life is and what you no longer have within your life. Um, But there wasn't, you know, strategies for getting better because they didn't have it. There is no cure. There's no cure to these illnesses. It's kind of, you know, throwing mud at a wall and hoping it sticks. Mm -hmm. And they're autoimmune um, yes, yeah, absolutely. Right, yeah. yes. And there seems to be more and more of those on the rise. You know, I, I mean, I know I don't have anything nearly, in, you know, of that level, but I deal with um, celiac. And so, you know, just something that is chronic that you just have to work around with me, it's fairly easy. Just don't eat gluten, you know, yeah. but but it's there is no, you know, definite cure for it. You have to adjust your lifestyle. So once you you know, we're facing the reality of these illnesses, what happened next? So how did you start to find balance? How did you start to find recovery? And you also had talked about the depression and anxiety. And I don't know if that also still was playing a role in all of this too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, And I don't think people stress enough that depression and anxiety are arguably, I mean, they're not in the same Basket is autoimmune, but they can be equally as debilitating. Um, but yeah, they definitely played a part. Um, postural tachycardia often results in imbalance of chemicals and cause adrenal, causes adrenal fatigue quite often. So anxiety plays a huge part. And then, you know, if you've got a lower quality of life because you're so tired with these chronic illnesses and in so much pain, naturally depression follows. You know, people go, oh, you might also have depression with it. It's like, no, of course I'm going to have depression with it. Yeah, it definitely did play a part. And it got to six months after my diagnosis, I basically pretended that I didn't have the illnesses. And I tried to adopt a few alternative holistic therapies. I started going to counselling, but I continued with all the stuff that I now know makes my illness worse because that's what I wanted in my life still. Um, And it got to a point where I had... Um, a sinus infection, a chest infection, and two ear infections, bladder infection, chest infection, on top of my illnesses. And I woke, and it was a couple of days before, after Christmas. And I woke up one day and I noticed that in my left leg, I couldn't really feel the side of my leg. And sometimes in postural tachycardia, in quite severe cases, you can lose the feelings in your legs. It's a little bit like when you get pins and needles. And it really brought home to me that it wasn't the autoimmune illness doing this to me. It was my lifestyle that I was trying to choose because of unfortunately what I had with the dengue fever. I could no longer manage everything. And I'd done that to myself because of the stress that I would put my body under. I'd managed to get myself essentially to paralysis. You know, I was crawling to the toilets and I was having to wear an eye mask because I was like allergic to sunlight. Um, so while it's very much it's not fake. You know, these autoimmune illnesses are very much real, but they are exacerbated by stress. It personally, for me, was absolutely exacerbated by stress. Um, So it was at that point that I just said to myself, this is, I cannot do this. And that's almost what triggered me and pushed me to stop, reassess and just 
almost start life all over again. So it's at this point that you decided to start traveling. Is that right? No. So it was at this point I admitted to myself that I will probably never be able to travel. Ah, interesting. Yes. So you were at a point where you thought, okay, I can't do anything. Maybe I can't work. I can't travel. I'm just, I have, but I, all I know is the stress is killing me and I have to stop. It's making me more sick and I have to find a different way. So what happened next? What was the next phase? Um, So the next phase was basically coming to terms with that and finding my comfortability in the uncomfortability of it all. And, you know, the only thing I really had left in my toolkit of how I could help myself is how I chose to view my circumstances. So I still had the power to be like, my circumstances are terrible or my circumstances are great because I've still got a bed that I can lay in when I feel this bad. So it's all a matter of perspective. Um, And so for the first couple of months, once I did decide to stop working and I couldn't work at all, focusing on my health, it really was a matter of, you know, lots of hours of meditation, just being content and finding gratitude in the fact that while I was dealt these cards, I still had so much to live for. Um, And that was probably the first stepping stone that I had before I did decide to make various changes. And it did get very real. When I was at my Mosul, I was like, I don't want to live anymore. There was no point. I have no quality of life. Um, So the next six months really were kind of finding gratitude in the life that I had and the life that I could have moving forward, along with how can I make it better? in the, you know, taking a holistic standpoint to it, my looking at my diet, looking at my um, lifestyle, um, reading, I read more than more health articles than I'd ever thought I would in those six months. But these tiny changes and building on these tiny changes, after six months, I realized they worked, and they were continuing to work. And noticeably, on my doctor's notes, you could see the difference in my heart rate and my blood pressure you know, in my vitamin levels, it it was working amazingly. Fantastic. Yeah. So, so things were beginning to improve. And at which point did you bring travel into the picture? How did you get to the point where you felt that you could travel having previously decided things were, you know, it's sort of over, my life is over. And in a sense, how did you get to this point of opening back up? Yeah, yeah. So I knew when I was at my lowest, it really makes you realize exactly what you want in life. And it makes you realize that a lot of elements that we do in life, we do as a facade because we believe we need to do it to go through the motions because that's what other people are doing. And realizing all my choices were taken away, it really showed you exactly the choices you wanted back. And really, I didn't care whether I was working in investments in London. I didn't care that I had nice clothes. All I knew is I wanted to travel. So that was kind of my, if I get better, I will be traveling. And as soon as I realized that I was going to be better, I did have a a friend at the time who had two chronic illnesses, one the same as mine. And she used to go on holiday. And I was like, how do you go on holiday? You're not exhausted by that? I'd be exhausted just at the plane journey. But as I recovered, 
I saw what she was doing and I thought, I can do that. Even if I'm lying on a beach for three weeks, not doing anything, I'm still going abroad and I'm still traveling. Okay, it's still within restrictions of my illness, but I'm still there. So that's kind of the way I saw it. And then as I got better, I realized just how much more I could do with my health. So when was this? How long has it been since you were at that point? That point was three years ago now. Okay. So tell me what your life has been like over the last three years. What have you been doing? Yeah. So, so that kind of, that decision in my mind of even if I don't do anything in that different country, at least I know I can still do it. That notion of thought was still for another year. I was still at home. I was still recovering um, just trying to build on my foundation of health. And I booked my flight that day for a year onward. So I knew I still had a year of building on the foundation of health, basically. Um, and then after that, I decided to start a website because the only thing I knew I wanted to do was travel. And the more research I did, the more I realized there was no country I didn't want to travel to. There's no culture I didn't want to experience. There's no food I didn't want to taste. Um, so I thought, why can't I go to every country in the world? And the more research that I did on it, the more I realized you probably could in this day and age, especially with the fact I've got an Australian and an English passport. So I'm very, very fortunate in that sense. And I realized that with, I still have lingering health problems. I realized that I needed a job that promotes flexibility rather than going to an office every day. So I started doing research in jobs which had the skills that I already had that I could do in a more flexible environment. Uh, So I now freelance to make my money while I am attempting to travel to every country in the world. And people say to me, are you not going to eventually want to stop and settle down? Potentially, but I'm now 66 countries in. And if anything, I want to travel to the rest of them even more. Wow. So you're already 66 countries in and you I know you mentioned that as a young person, you traveled to 15. So I'm, I'm assuming maybe, you know, some of those you're counting in there. But it's an amazing shift, right? From like, I don't, I can't travel. I can't travel at all. I can't work. I can't travel nothing to I'm going to travel the world, you know? And so what have you found as you started traveling? Was that actually helpful for your um, chronic illnesses? Was it, you know, were there challenges initially around traveling with the chronic illnesses? But, you know, tell me what has been happening for you? What has travel done for your um, overall health? Yeah, of course. Good question. I think, I think people often say that travel is bad for your health. And I would say in many respects, it very much is because people go on holiday with the attitude or travel even with the attitude, I want to taste all the food, I want to do all these things. And how I live my life at home isn't how I live my life while I'm traveling. But the reason you live your life at home in the way you do, the routine, the keeping up good practices with your health, with your diet, you know, you go see your counselor, you go to yoga, you do that for your health. So why are you stopping it Stopping it while you're traveling? So that's the reason I feel most people think traveling isn't very good for your health. And don't get me wrong, I made the mistake as well. Uh, I've seen myself in a couple of hospitals. I've seen myself in a black room for a couple of days because I do still have lingering symptoms of my chronic illnesses and I do still have to manage it. But I think now more than ever, my mental health has got better because I'm doing something that I truly love that has been absolutely for me and for my health. And I just feel like I'm not playing a role that I thought that I should be. 
um, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yes. So the part that travel is bringing to you is this freedom and, and, and less stress. You know, there's a, there's a stress to travel. I think, you know, certainly. Right. I mean, no matter how much I love travel, I always have to acknowledge that it's being in a different place is stressful sometimes. Right. But it sounds like the overall effect is one of a sense of freedom and less stress overall compared to having a job that you're going to every day. The flexibility of your work now, all of that has increased your positive mental health. And I'm sure, you know, that helps with your chronic illness symptoms. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with the stress, the stress of work politics and friendship dynamics and even just living in a big city. It's tiring. It's so tiring. And, and you solo travel, so yes, um, yeah, absolutely. Tell me a little bit about your your solo traveling. How has that been for you? I know there's a lot of women who want to travel more, and you know the idea of solo travel can be very intimidating to many women. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on being a solo traveler. Yeah, I mean, I'm almost forced to solo travel. I would travel for solo travel anyway, but solo travel for me is good because again, I have to be flexible with my chronic illness if there's one day where a group of six people I'm have been tagging along with for two weeks is going to a different area but I feel ill I'm staying put so actually solo travel gives me the flexibility with my health um you know to slow the traveling down and to take time to make sure that I'm well while I'm traveling so that's a very big part of why I solo travel but I get so many women asking me, oh, you're not really scared. Do you not, how do you make friends? There are more solo female travelers than there are male solo travelers. And the idea that I won't travel at all because I'm not male can't even function in my mind. I I can't even process it. So it's either being male, which I can't be male, or not traveling. You know, that's the two (laughs) options, right? So for me, it just, it's a no brainer for me. And I, I do appreciate, you know, I don't think men appreciate quite so much how we have to plan. You know, I can't get a bus that arrives into a city after dark. I need to think about what taxi I'm going in. Um, I can't get meals walking around the street by myself in the evening. You know, it's just things we need to plan. But in the same way that I wouldn't walk along the streets in Streatham, a suburb in in London at 2 a.m. in the morning. Exactly the same goes for every other city in the world. Um, It's no different. The world is a lot friendlier than you think. You just have to be as careful as you are in your own hometown. Yeah, no, I, I love that. People have expressed concern at times for me when I've traveled to Brazil because Brazil has some sort of notorious crime, violence, things that have happened. And I'm like, you know what? I actually feel less safe walking around in the neighborhood where my office was for a bunch of years. There's always yeah. like gun, <laughs> you know, gun incidents and all kinds of things. I'm like, the United States is actually pretty notorious for pretty bad violence and crime as well. So, you know, I live here and I just practice the same uh, safety tips and strategies that I do here. I do that when yeah. I'm in Brazil and it works. But Yeah, I mean, you have to understand a little bit maybe that wherever you are, there could be some different things you need to know, like don't go in that neighborhood or don't go down that street. So yes, I do have to learn some things when I travel. But ultimately, you're right. It's the same strategies that we use wherever we are. It is. You know, it's the world is a lot smaller than you think. So tell me what some of your self-care looks like 
on the road. I mean, you've talked about how we often do that where we travel and we think, oh, now I get to eat what I want. I get to, you know, be up late and not get any sleep because I've got to see it all and I'm going to do too much and exhaust myself. And then I'm going to, you know, it's all the things that we do and it's fun. But if we were to act that way at home, it could be pretty unsustainable. So what does your self-care look like? You've already mentioned, you know, you might need to just go back and rest. But are there some certain things that you feel like are your go-tos when you're traveling that you do? Yeah, absolutely. So I think for me personally, I take what I learned while I was ill and just apply it while I'm on the road. And I definitely sometimes slip from that balance because I get too greedy. Um, But I always try and adopt meditation first thing in the morning. I find that really calms my mind for the rest of the day. It's like switching my computer on and off. Um, I then try and do yoga as much as possible because I get very stiff limbs with um, my illness as well. Um, And where I can, just remember that, especially if, especially if you're an introvert, I am, I'm an introvert, you naturally recharge without other people. So you can, if you like, you can say no to going out for a meal with other people if you don't fancy it. You can say no if you don't want to go on a big group hike that day and spend 10 hours talking to people. The holiday is for you. And just focus on what you want to do and what you like and don't feel obliged to what, you know, the top 10 reviews of that place are or the people who you're with at the time because that's how you get run down trying to do it all trying to keep up that's that's the biggest killer and it's the biggest ruiner of traveling yeah yeah that's interesting i was just thinking on a couple recent experiences one i was in new york city for a wedding and i love new york city and of course you know the pace of that of of new york is is intense and i did have one day where i stayed in actually my son was kind of with me on that. He's like, yeah, we just didn't do a lot. And we were only there five days, right? So you feel like, oh, I'm only here five days. Why would I waste it, quote unquote, being in, you know, in. But my friend's apartment where we stayed was absolutely lovely in a gorgeous little neighborhood. It had all the sounds, you know, of New York. We walked to get, you know, great pizza that was famous down the street came back. I mean, of course, I couldn't eat it, but my son ate it. But whatever. We went and got some things, brought it home. Um, Trying to remember that some of those ordinary experiences while traveling are just as valid and just t- enjoying the the little differences, right? Like, okay, I step outside and I'm in New York and then I can go back and rest. And, you know, I don't know. It was just fun, like planning what we're going to do the next day. But I think the most important thing was because I stayed in more that day, I had more energy that night when we went out. I had more energy the following day at the wedding. So it was an important part of what the experience in New York was to not overdo. Absolutely. And I think as well, people lose sight of why they're traveling. The whole reason you travel, the whole reason you go to these new places is to enjoy yourself. And if you're so exhausted, you're so rushed off your feet that you're not going to be enjoying the last two, three days if you're away for a week. And what's the point? Exactly. What is the What's the point? Yeah. Yes. So, and another piece for me was, you know, I actually traveled with a broken ankle. I had broken my ankle last November and then we had already planned this big family trip to Mexico. So, you know, I literally couldn't put weight on my foot at the, at this point. And, you know, I was a little daunted, like, okay, I've got to manage the crutches and all of that. But I thought, you know what, I'm just gonna be sitting at home, you know, doing the same thing. I might as well be sitting in a tropical location, 
<laughs> trying yes. to stay off my ankle. <laughs> and so it actually turned out to be a fantastic trip. Everybody's bringing me everything I need. I've got company. I'm not feeling isolated. It was one of the best decisions. And yes, there were some challenges. I almost I fell down some little bit of stairs one night. You know, whatever. There was some drama. But <laughs> in the end, it was worth it. And I guess I'd love to hear what has this experience done for you, this fact that you have to focus on self-care? How has this changed your life? I mean, obviously your illness has changed your life, but how has travel and managing illness at the same time, sort of what has that brought to your life? Mm, very good question. Very good question. I think for me, it has shown me definitely how much I can manage and how much I can't. It's taught me what I value most in life and what I don't. And okay, I've been given certain limitations and I have to practice self-care. And I actually, I sailed across the South Pacific last year. And at the end of my season, my captain said to me, it makes me sad to see a 25-year-old living life like this. You're not living how a 25-year-old should. And I'm thinking, I just sailed 7,000 miles. Which 25-year-old can say that? Like, I'm not living badly. So, you know, it's, it's entirely, tell you what, I know what, I know what it's made me do. It's made me com give complete gratitude to how I choose to view my life. That's the, that's the thing that travel gives you. Yes, absolutely. So gratitude. So do you have any tips for people? I saw on your website that you have actually a little uh, blog post, an article about tips for traveling after diagnosis. So do you want to maybe give us a quick, like, sum up of some of those tips? Yeah, of course. So the reason I thought to write that article is because I got lots of people emailing me saying they're incredibly nervous of traveling after a diagnosis and how did I manage it? And actually that nervousness and that stress will probably be the thing that ruins the traveling. Um, so my summary was just to Take the illness and take the care that you have at home with you on holiday. Know your limitations. Don't think you can travel or holiday as you did before, but don't ever let it stop you. You know your limitations, but don't get comfortable in the nervousness of not doing anything because of your illness. And it's a very fine line to tread in terms of self-care, knowing how far you can push that barrier but I know for me, for sure, especially with mental health as well, you get quite almost comfortable in the idea of, oh, I don't want to do that because that will exacerbate my illness. And you do have to have that caution. But at what point does that caution override your enjoyment of life? And there's definitely an overlap at some points. So that article is really addressing those points. Okay, great. So... Yeah, you've already offered so many tips and insights. And I love especially the one of just why not do the things that you would do at home? Why not do that on the road? And I think even if someone doesn't have a chronic illness, that's really good advice yeah. just for self-care, right? I mean, you don't, I, I just think that's that's really a gem and something I'd like to practice more of because I have routines that I try to do at home and then I just let them fall away as soon as I leave. And then I wonder why I'm moody or whatever, you know, it's like yeah. mental okay. health, mental health is always put to the sideline, even in normal life. So it's absolutely put to the sideline and travel. But, you know, if you eat cake every day, you're going to get fat. Just like if you are stressed and overstimulated every day, you are not going to feel mentally your best. That's how yes. it works. 
Yeah. Yes. So would you say, and this will be probably the last question because we need to wrap up, but would you say that travel is part of your uh, treatment for your chronic illnesses and also mental health? Would you say that that's actually now an important piece of it? Traveling and working for me is where I am happiest and where you are most mentally stable, I think is where you're meant to be. And even though at times I need to take it more slowly than other people, if it's still making me happy, I would be uncontent if I was sat in an office in London still. I know I would. So yes, travel does help my health. Great. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much for joining me. And um, where can people find you online? So I often jot down my travel stories on thechanceofchoice.com. That's also where I've got my mission to travel to every country in the world. Um, You can also contact me by email. Um, I freelance in digital marketing and consultancy. That's how I make my money to do this. So and that I can be reached by email on that website as well. Fantastic. Well, I wish you the best on all of your adventures. I'll be following along for sure. And thanks so much for sharing your insights and experiences with me today. Really appreciate it. You're more than welcome. Thank you so much for having me on. Want to check out the resources and links mentioned during the episode? Head over to the show notes at jetsetlazette.com forward slash episode 33. That's jetsetlazette.com forward slash episode 33. And Lizette is spelled L-I-S-E-T-T-E. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you're listening to this podcast. Tell a friend to tell a friend. I really appreciate you spreading the word as it helps me grow the show. So thanks so much for tuning in and getting some travel inspiration. I'll be back with more in a couple weeks. Until then, remember, life is short, travel more.